0: Hey, everybody, welcome back to We Are Podcast. This is The Act Out, Season 1, Episode 1, Dan Danzi. If this is your first time checking out the Podcast Network, please head over to your favorite podcast app Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, or iTunes and give We Are Podcast Network a like. And if you get a chance, head over to our social media. All links can be found in the description. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Backslash We Are Podcast. And with that said, on to. The podcast. All right, everyone, welcome to the act out a backstage comedy podcast from open mic to the big stage comedians tell us the story they've made today on our first inaugural i think that's the right word episode yes we have the amazing the spectacular the awesome dan danzy dan how are you sir thank you
1: for your kind words i'm doing i'm doing good i'm doing really really good i got over covid recently everything's getting back into play and i'm doing my just all these numerous things that i'm doing
0: and Um, you were kind of staying locked up during this time right because you have asthma correct
1: (laughs) yeah i was i was i didn't have it for two years in fact it got to the point where i thought i was asymptomatic (laughs) never do that i know and then, you know, I heard about the variant, but I was just like, eh, you know, and uh, a little bit after my 35th birthday, I woke up with congestion and achy bones. And I'm like, I do not get this sick during the summer. This has to be it. And yeah. it ended up being it.
0: It's horrible, but I'm happy to see that you were on the rebound. Y'all, you need to know about Dan. He's a stand up comic, Twitch streamer, podcast host, all around content creator host Uh, of the counting lights podcast and contributor to TimelessGamer.net video game
1: publication i gotta start throwing that in there now so but that's been a
0: joy and you're
1: gonna be doing uh, articles for them write-ups on video games and opinion articles on august 10 in four days my write-up on miles morales spider-man comes out and these write-ups are just for people who haven't played the game it's like i'm just talking people into trying out games that i've played and that i
0: like basically right on dude and it's totally up your alley we'll get into the twitch streaming a little bit towards the end but let's start from the beginning where it all begins when were you born how old are you i
1: (laughs) how dare you no i'm (laughs) i'm 35 i was born 1987 i was born in arlington uh raised yeah yeah but raised a little bit in chicago but mostly
0: uh houston texas Right on. So you're down in Houston. It Was it close to Houston or were you in Beaumont at the time? We're, we're no, no, there. no.
1: Okay, so I was in Spring, which is like below the woodlands. And I was, a, I was there for a good like 13 or 14 years of my life. And then I moved to Beaumont. And there's a reason I moved to Beaumont. I didn't do it willingly. But it all goes in with how I started comedy, really. I moved to Beaumont because my mom had passed away. My dad and I were just wrecks. I suffered silently while he was more you know, God, <laughs> so, yeah,
0: I can't imagine. dude. I yes.
1: Imagine. So we moved in with my grandparents in Beaumont and like I had a bedroom, but with my dad, they had to make the garage into a bedroom. It was big enough to put a couch and recliner bed in there. And I had a bedroom, but I didn't sleep in it. I slept on my dad's couch. He slept in his bed and we just put on the TV the whole night. And, uh, Sorry, sorry. I haven't, times, about, I, man. I haven't thought of. I have. I mean, it was, and we were poor. We were, we were, we had nothing. We relied on my grandparents heavily because we were just wrecks for a lo, for for a good two years. Well, no, for a lot longer. I just thought I was over it, and it turned out I was getting survivor's remorse, which led to the drinking problem, and and my dad same way, you know. But stand up comedy is kind of what got me out of that.
0: And let's talk about that. Age of 13, you came upon a comedian known as Bill Hicks. Is that I did.
1: I did. I had watched stand up a lot before Bill Hicks. My parents had, um, I think it was HBO comedy. It was when HBO split up into several HBOs when there was like eight HBOs. And I remember, like, the only time my family ever really got along was when HBO Comedy was on. (laughs) And I would watch Dana Gould, Paula Poundstone, early Dave Chappelle, and just all these funny comedies. But Bill Hicks was the first comic that I listened to that it was different. It was oh, this guy's pissed off at what's going on. Everyone else loves what's going on, but this guy's pissed, but he's making people laugh at what he's pissed at. They're not like walking out. Uh, I mean, he'd get hecklers. He's a comic. Every comic mm. gets hecklers. But he it was just so uh, uh, innovative to me. It was It wasn't comedy I heard before. But my real influence was Johnny Carson. Oh, really? I, yeah, my dad had old tapes of Johnny Carson. And I I was absolutely like, his delivery and his timing and the fact that he wasn't a comedian, he started out as a magician. He had appreciation for the art form and I respected that. And when he bombed, when a joke bombed, he had the best recoveries yep. to this day. But the cynical side of things, I loved Bill Hicks. I, so, I just absolutely adored him.
0: So do you find that your comedy in the beginning, did it kind of channel both Johnny Carson and Bill Hicks or how did that work?
1: <laughs> Every open micer that listened to Bill Hicks goes up on stage and tries to be Bill Hicks absolutely. and I, and I was very <laughs> guilty of that, but yeah. And that's what I did at 18 I didn't have a voice like what was i thinking like, what were you I,
0: even thinking at 18 i don't I even think i had a thought in my brain at 18 let alone the, the ability to go on stage at 18. honestly
1: I mean? honestly and i think this went with the like eight other or nine other comics in beaumont texas we were just really just trying to get out you know yeah. what i mean we were just trying to get out of beaumont we were a bunch of misfits that didn't fit in with the town and we saw this comedy thing as a way to get out and man i wish i could go back to those times they were fun and some of it a lot of it was bad because i would pick up drinking very early into my uh comedy career but i kept it secret because one i didn't want people to throw my mom back into my face like oh this is what your mom died of and two i didn't want like I would show up to Comedy, Texas, where I started. I would show up to open mics or the weekends with just like two shots before I went in. And I didn't tell anybody at the club because I didn't want to be thrown out. In my 18-year-old head, I yeah. thought they would throw me out. I might have told the door guy, B-Ham. He was the owner's brother because he was he was a rapper. He was cool. He, I think he was like, hey, bro, you all right? I was like, I'm a little bit drunk right now, B-Ham. He's like, word, I won't say
0: it. It's, a, <laughs> it's that drug thing where you have to say, something to somebody you're like oh man, I'm just a little bit too high did you really need to share that oh but i am so you started 2006 in beaumont texas I did. you were 18 I did. like you said my god what was it like the first time you went on stage did you prepare or were you just like uh, i'm gonna go up here did it take the two shots to build up the courage what was it no like? see i i
1: wasn't drinking then it was like when i gained a little bit of confidence about three or four months in is when i started like taking shots every day but my first time up i really wasn't nervous i just wanted to get it over with and that's kind of how i am now um (laughs) like to me when a show starts especially now that i feature in headline places like now it's like it's like time slows down i just want to get it over with And so my first time like i can't repeat my jokes from the first time Uh um i was a very dark Dark, you gotta remember what place I'm in, right, like my dad and I did not go to therapy, so like I'm grieving, and dark humor is where like i'm I'm a little bit dark, I meet the line right now, you know yeah. that's taken time in the beginning, there was no line to me, so yeah. my first two jokes in I can't repeat them else I you know today's day and age, I'll get in trouble, yeah, yeah, but at the time, nobody had a problem with it, and uh I didn't kill or I I didn't do well but I didn't do as badly as I thought I was gonna do and that just kind of that kind of kept me in it that that was just like yeah I can do this I remember the owner of the club who is a comic named Slade Ham, really funny comic he said you'd look like you belong on the stage but what was coming out of your mouth Is not acceptable. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I I was like, well, as soon as he said that, I was like, oh, so all I have to do is just write a little bit better. Okay, that's not hard. I was actually more nervous my first opening weekend to the point that I threw up right after my first show, like right after my first opening spot. That was the most nerve wracked. I've ever been I uh, feel
0: like what was it was it like going on a roller coaster or was it like it's a whole new feeling
1: it was a whole new feeling I'd never been that nervous before when I
0: got up on stage
1: I was fine but everything before like I got a stomach ache and and I was sweating and there was like part of me that just wanted to run out of the club and just go home but I was just like you know what no one's gonna beat you up you've gotten better at writing if the owner of the club who's an established comedian, has trust in you to open, just get on with it. And like my headliner was like someone I actually like remembered and knew. It was Marty Rackham. He was on Seinfeld. He played Elaine's boyfriend with the glasses that everybody that she wanted. So I automatically knew who he was. So I was a little bit nervous on what he'd think and everything like that. But ever since then, I've never had that that feeling ever again. I don't want it because it was it made my night hell. It really Uh, did. It
0: sounds like you kind of did what is called flooding. Whenever, like, if you're afraid of spiders, you jump in a pit full of spiders, and you'll never be afraid of spiders again. So you kind of purged yourself by being so nervous and anxious. Do you still get the adrenaline rush after you come off stage? Is that still Mm -hmm. a thing for you? Okay,
1: so it's it's anxiety. The anxiety builds up before a show, and then I go up there and I just kind of hone it, and I just kind of work off that, and then the adrenaline's going. So it's kind of lowering the anxiety down. But when usually when I get off stage, you know, I have enough adrenaline to shake hands and, and be nice. But when I get home, I just crash. Yeah, I just crash. That's <laughs> I just like, I don't stay up. Like, that's the only time I have a good night's sleep is after a show.
0: Do you have a ritual before you go up on stage or you just grasp it and go up?
1: I think, okay, what's the opening? What's the opener going to be? What's the closer? What do I want to throw in that's new? And then... I just kind of fill in the blanks while I'm up there. I'm usually like just bouncing around like Brock Lesnar pacing. (laughs) Yeah, it gets me pumped up. And I'm one of those people where you can come and say something to me and I'll say something back. Like I won't yell at anybody for coming to talk to me. It's just it's become second language now after 16 years that it's just like, you know, is what it is. It's, It's the job. You know, you do something long enough, especially when something, it's something that you love. It's not really a job at that point. And then when you have enough years under your belt, you just kind of go, oh, okay, cool. Oh, there's 20 people in the crowd. Got it. There's 200 people in the crowd. Got it. It's just... You know, I can also say
0: as a person who's worked at the comedy club, you've always been gracious beforehand. You've always had this like, hey, buddy, how you doing? Like, you're very good with the staff. You're very kind about it. You try to bring everyone together. And that's the feeling I always get from you. Like, you want everyone on the same page.
1: I appreciate that because when I was drinking, it was exact opposite. I was losing bookings because nobody knew what they were booking at that point. Would you get... A sober Dan showing up doing his job and then he gets drunk afterwards? Or do you get a Dan that shows up drunk? and makes an ass of himself.
0: <laughs> well, let's get into it because that's a huge part of the story. The comedy and the alcohol seemed to have went hand in hand. But like you said, you were already predisposed to have alcohol. Mm-hmm. you know, you said before, your mother passed away from it. It was already in the genetics. So let's talk about how you kind of realized it was becoming an issue. The creature dancing Man. was coming out, which actually when I met you the first time, you don't know this, you were drinking. Ah, uh, this, this. Go time, ahead. Uh, <laughs> And um, my ex girlfriend, who was the bartender, could not fucking stand you because yeah. of your drinking. But she used to be like, "I can't stand him." But when, I when didn't he's think drunk. you were that bad. I thought it was funny. I, I yeah. mean, but but obviously the demon and the bottle was getting at you. So yeah. you were saying you were taking two shots maybe before you went up, and you were a teenager. Mm-hmm. Did it just slowly grow and grow? Like was alcohol and. Comedy hand in hand. Growing up in the Houston comedy area, you know, is that what it is like? So, I I mean, I started in Beaumont, but I would
1: go to Houston from time to time. We, we went everywhere like as a group of misfits. We'd go to Lake Charles, Louisiana. We literally would like be ready for it was called the Frosty Factory. And it was this drive through daiquiri place. And that was like one of the best rooms ever. (laughs) And then we'd go to the Houston Laugh Stop. The only time Houston ever saw me drunk was probably my 21st birthday. And that's when it got worse. But when I was doing shots every day, because that's the point it got to. it, it, It went to taking two shots before the open mic to taking two shots every day, and there just happens to be an open mic on a Thursday. And it was changing my behavior. I started to have a bad relationship with Slade. Slade, in turn, said, I can't do this anymore, man. You got to buy. But see, he didn't know I was drinking. He just thought I was being an arrogant, cocky, unappreciative little little crap face you know <laughs> when really it it was the alcohol affecting my behavior it was a little bit of my mom dying and then stand-up comedy giving me confidence that I hadn't had in a long time so you mix that with drinking and then you come off as arrogant and cocky and and you know all that stuff So then after I got banned from Comedy Texas, I had to do open mics at like a cafe or or shows in a bar. And, you know, only a handful of those comics from Comedy Texas were still talking to me. The rest, they took sides between Slade and I. And I I don't hold grudges for that or anything. And then I I didn't recognize it being a problem until I got up here and the same pattern was happening where but at the time it was get drunk say something stupid and then that stupid thing goes to this person and then everything just blows up in your face
0: and you couldn't see that you were the problem that's what no. a lot of a lot of alcoholics have that yeah. have. a lot of drug addicts have that where they can't see that the problem is truly them and like yeah. you are the problem, like fix you because there's a pattern happening here. And if the pattern over and over again, is you get into a relationship and the relationship ends badly mm-hmm. and that person ends up married afterwards, maybe you were the problem. I, yeah. I had to come to that point in my life where I was like, oh, I'm the issue here. Mm-hmm. I, it's a, There's a common denominator and it's me. And so it makes a difference when you see that. But when you're in it, you cannot see that. And just to illustrate how bad it was, you were banned from multiple clubs. I right? was
1: i was i'm i'm very grateful that those clubs have forgiven me and given me weekend spots i still to this day feel like i don't deserve it <laughs> but i'm very thankful and grateful for it but yeah i was i was banned from multiple clubs cuz there was always a drunken incident and it got to the point where like i recognized i had a problem but i was so far in and self destructive Because again, I needed therapy at 16 years old. Mm -hmm. What I was going through was survivor's remorse and alcoholism at the same time. So when I realized that, oh yeah, I have a problem, I didn't care. It was just like I had this reckless abandonment of like, I don't care if I die from it. There's so many, just there was just so many bad thoughts that I was just accepting and just didn't care. And it wasn't until...
0: (sighs) Almost seven years ago that I realized I needed to stop. Yeah, let's talk about that. The DUIs or DWIs or whatever Texas calls them. Uh, you had <laughs> two of those bad boys. <laughs> and uh, the first one, I guess, is is kind of uh, debatable. From My understanding of the cop. You have done to to you me. have done your research, <laughs> sir. Thank you. Where, so much. What?
1: This is amazing. <laughs> I did not tell him any of this before we started. Yeah, no, it was very debatable because I could have had more, but I didn't have more for a purpose. So I I literally had like three or four beers. And and I know people say that all the time, but uh, that is the truth because I had two friends that were gone as soon as I got to that bar. And I was like, God, I need to be a designated driver, but I'm a stupid designated driver (laughs) because I had three or four beers. But I tried to fight it because you can see in the video, if it even is still up online, I don't even know if it is, that I'm coherent. You know, I'm able to have a conversation with the cop. We proved the cop was just like, he was out of his jurisdiction. He was in town because he lived there and he was skipping out on work. We proved that that cop actually got pissed. And when he got into the hallway, my witness said that he threw all the paperwork he had with him because we got him up on the stand and we made him look bad at his job. Yeah. However... The jury decided, because on video, I admit to having a few beers, that, yes, I was breaking the law. So it really didn't hit me. It didn't hit me at all. That was like another thing I could just go, well, that's not my fault, you know? The second one, I don't even remember. Yeah, that is crazy. You were blackout drunk. Blackout drunk. So I woke up in an Austin jail with scrubs on. With scrubs on? See, that's, and then that's what (laughs) led to this thought. Oh my gosh, I've murdered someone. I was driving and I murdered someone. And I sat there for eight hours with that thought, breaking out in tears multiple times. And we get in front of the judge and I'm handcuffed to this creepy guy, but he said, you know, Dan Danzi, DWI2. And I went, whoa, that's it? And I immediately go, okay, this is your chance. Gotta get sober. And even still, it took a long time. It took a long time to get rid of the demon. It really did.
0: Did you find yourself not drinking and then you would go back to it? Or were you at that point where it was like a dangerous to quit at that point? So basically, after I'd gotten
1: with Misty, my wife, we started living together. I got comfortable. My demon was telling me, it's okay. You're good now. You know, so I would sneak in a six pack of Shiner here and there. And then I went to a Houston show that I was supposed to do on November 15th. And I was drinking Shiners and I thought I was drinking something out of a cooler. It tasted like Smirnoff. Apparently it was like heavy alcohol. And by the time I had I, gotten up there, I was gone. I was absolutely sloshed. The audience was uncomfortable. I actually got like a Facebook message. I was gonna say you
0: got you got a message from one of the people who was there.
1: I I told them I'm sorry, I had no idea. I'm very embarrassed. Oh wow. And then it wasn't just that. I embarrassed Misty in front of one of her friends who came out to the show. You you know. And it was one of those things where it's like, okay, can't do this anymore. I can't do this. So November 16th is my sobriety date. I count it when I finally said. It's over. And it's been seven
0: years. Is that right? It's been seven years. Congratulations, dude. Thank you.
1: It'll be be seven years of November 16th, but get close enough. Yeah.
0: Does it bother you at all anymore? You don't even think about it.
1: I don't even think about it. I don't.
0: Now, now
1: that no, that's not true. When Justin Thompson died, that sucked. So Justin Thompson died a month before the pandemic. So I was trying to get out there to do comedy and just. Try to ignore that my best friend in comedy, a guy who basically I started with in Comedy, Texas, had passed away. And then when the pandemic hit and I had to, like, stay inside, that's when that grief started coming. And, yeah, I was I was really tempted because Abbott had just passed the alcohol delivery stuff. So, yeah, it was tempting and i still think this to this day if i have another drink it's all over yeah. i lose everything that i have built for the last 7 years including my marriage you know my pop figures <laughs> they're gone
0: <laughs> second my thing w- to go they gave up and block w out. world title oh yeah <laughs>
1: enjoying this episode go check out geekster a dating and friends app for geeks that focuses on common interests as a way to make meaningful connections Download today on the App Store or click the link in the description to find out more. Geekster, this is what happens when nerds collide. Geekster, available on iOS and Android. Uh, no, but like I, I all the clubs that, that have forgiven me and been gracious enough to book me and given me opportunities that like I said, I still feel I don't deserve. That would be gone. And then they would be disappointed. A motivating factor is how many people support you in your decision and embraced the real me and was able to go. He's not like he was, you know, mm-hmm. and when you have a good support circle and you're trying to stay sober, having a good support circle really does help. It
0: really does. Well, the one thing that we haven't talked about is the fact that you're going to and your comedy Thank and what you, you do. And, and when you go out and, and you you have this sense of like wanting the entire crowd to have a great time. And your comedy is nerdy, it's (laughs) self-referential, you make fun of yourself, you're very self-deprecating. But uh, I mean, look at me. How
1: can I not make fun of this?
0: Dude, it's great. And um, and the <laughs> thing is, I want to know about your writing process because that's something that people don't usually talk about on podcasts. And that's something yeah. that a lot of people this podcast specifically, I want to focus on that because writing is hard and everyone has a different process. Mm-hmm. What is your process of writing? Do you just sit around and wait for funny stuff to hit you and write it down, or do you actively go out and seek it? How do you find yourself writing?
1: Well, I mean, in the beginning, of course, I would think of a premise and then the next day go to an open mic with just a half written premise and then grind that open, just go to every open mic until that joke is funny or until that premise has a punchline, what have you. Now, I mean, I just think of a premise and then when now when I'm at a show, I just, I kind of try things out on stage, seize what sticks, keep it, and then try to build off what sticks. Like I'm not satisfied with that one punchline. I want to build around that punchline. So I'll try it out at a show where it's full of people, right? And after I've already hit them with the stuff that works, I try something out. Oh, that punchline stuck. Boom. Like if you were putting it in a diagram, it would be a sub outlet. Like, oh, with this, I can go here or I can go this way. It's like a whole diagram of stuff. And then I just kind of throughout multiple shows decide, okay, now it's good. Now it's good. That's usually how I do it. It's the most stress-free way of doing it.
0: And you do a lot of crowd work. It's something I've noticed about you. You're not afraid of the audience. To the no, point where no. I saw you walk out into the audience once during the show, still <laughs> killing it. It was in Arlington. I don't know if you remember this, but like, you were just because like- Because
1: no one sat in the front row. Yeah, and, and you were just like, I'm,
0: I'm coming <laughs> out here. And then you were killing it the whole time and everyone was losing it. Plus you were out like in their face. And I, I just remember thinking like, I've never seen this before. This is outrageous. <laughs>
1: No one sat in the front row and I was mad about that. And, you know, I I always feel, you know, your first impression of a crowd, like, and a crowd's first impression of you, or just, just the whole instance Together, I mean, stand-up comedy is a very awkward thing. Before a joke is even told, yeah, think about it. You're just watching a person that you don't know on stage. Do you want that person to be afraid of you? Or do you want that person to be like, trust me, I got this, you know? And that thought process had occurred to me watching Dave Chappelle a lot. And you can look at Dave Chappelle now, whether you agree with him or not, and be like, he is not afraid. And that's why people are so receptive of him because he's not afraid. Now, I don't go up on stage and say things that he says, but I value that that aspect of stand-up. I Absolutely. value that feat, that trait. If you go up and you're nervous, the audience is going to be nervous with you. Your body language and your attitude basically determines the joke a little bit more than the punchline to me. I've seen people with just... And I'm not going to name names, of course, but I've seen weak punchlines get big laughs, just overconfidence and and charisma and, and all of that. Right. And that's how you got it. Uh, to me, that's how you got it. Now, as far as crowd work, now that my crowd works kind of scripted, my crowd works kind of placed. I go into a crowd to set up a bit. Uh, it, it's something I've been toying with for a number of years now, because I had this idea of like, why should I just limit it to just scripted jokes like why can't i script everything the way my face is when i say a punchline to my body movement and to even crowd work i don't like hecklers because i can get very mean so i try to de-escalate it quickly and move on and so far it's working also they can't tell but i'm like five foot six and a (laughs) hundred and so a but beginning a big, beat
0: up would be very easy. You've got a big personality for your size. And that's what I was going <laughs> to ask you. Do you feel like you have a comedy persona or do you feel like you're yourself on stage? I feel like I'm myself.
1: I feel like, a, yeah, I feel like I'm myself. A more animated version of myself. And that is because I feel like you got to be really animated. Because if you just stand there and talk like I'm talking right now to you, it's just like, this isn't a TED talk. Can make us yeah. some jokes. So... I am myself, I am absolutely myself. And that takes a lot of stage time to get that comfortable.
0: When do you think you got there at the five year mark, the 10 year mark, where do you think you were? When I quit drinking,
1: because when you drink, it gives you that confidence and everything. But when I quit, I mean, I was already like 10 years in the game, other than a handful of times where I was plastered on stage. For the most part, I stayed relatively sober. And I was able to learn from there. But um, as soon as it got to this point where it's like, you need to prove to everybody that you're not a drunk and that you were good at this the whole time, kind of like a, not a chip on my shoulder against anyone else, a chip on my shoulder against me. I had that mindset immediately. And that was just, that just made the wheels turn, you know? And I guess the first time I went up at uh, on a hyenas weekend, You know, for the first time in a long time, that's where I was like, I got this. Yeah, I'm sober, but I can do. Yeah,
0: (laughs) let's let's go. Let's do this. When when you reach the level of headliner, how did that feel? And like, what was that first time headlining a show? When was that first
1: time? I don't even remember. I'd headline shows when I was drinking um, bar shows. I guess they, do they count? (laughs) I don't know.
0: That's the great debate. Do they count or not? I don't know. I
1: don't know. It's more on the booker if they were booking me at a headline (laughs) at that time. I don't know. I I don't necessarily, I mean, I had the time. I I think that would be the only thing to be nervous about. I had the time. I did have to learn the check drop sober. I yes. did have to
0: learn that. It's weird how the room falls at that point and the, the atmosphere becomes very different. But when people see those checks and they are cranked up to the nines, they get very quiet. And so
1: because they're paying attention to what their bill is, how much they're going to tip. And, you know, you have that couple that's two people at a table. So the husband or the wife, whatever it's 2022, anyone can pay. Uh <laughs> You know, the spouse is like looking over at the check and they're having a conversation. I don't know if what I do now is the correct thing. My thing is, okay. I'll go to a low energy bit because they're low energy right now. And then when I see that, you know, things are starting to pick up through the laughter, I'll go back into my high energy bits. I think that's the right way to do
0: it. I think because... you're right. From my eight years of experience, the only thing you can do wrong is mention the check drop. That is the yes. kiss. Do not mention it. Do not bring attention to it because all you're doing is shitting on the club because yeah. the club needs to make their money, too. And so that's my personal opinion. Whenever no, 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 I agree one, with that, like, just don't do that. Let's talk about your replacement or or, or not your replacement, but like you had alcoholism. That was mm-hmm. kind of the thing that you were you were doing but then Twitch streaming seems to have become catharsis you uh, know the, about my
1: Twitch stream no i'm kidding
0: <laughs> i think everyone does man
1: my Twitch stream is such a secret no i'm uh,
0: kidding no 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 with your Twitch <laughs> streaming it feels like that kind of became your hobby and kind of your therapy because i know you were on a 12 step program at some point but it didn't really work for you and so you you stepped away <laughs> from it and so did that become kind of like the therapy that you needed, being able to spend time with the games and the people online? Because I know you got made friends through Twitch. I have.
1: So The Twitch thing started because I was tired of not being able to get any sleep. I needed to do something with the hours that I was awake. And like four years ago, at three o'clock in the morning, I was like, I'm going to stream Final Fantasy VII. Boom. One of my favorite games. What I didn't know is that people and, and this was before twitch had just launched this is when you could go to twitch and everyone was gaming there wasn't hot tubs mm-hmm. there was not asmr mm-hmm. there wasn't podcasts. i'm not putting podcasts in the category of those hey two. you do not. a
0: podcast i'm not i know <laughs> i know
1: but there was nothing like that on twitch it was literally just games i didn't know that final fantasy seven still had a huge impact on people like it did me and so I went like two weeks straight playing Final Phase 7 with these people from the UK coming in at four o'clock in the morning because it's like 10 o'clock in the morning for them. You know, it's it's bright out, you know, and just the people I've met since then. I know Brits that they have a guest room available for Misty and I people in Canada, the Netherlands, and then people in in the United States, too, in Kansas and stuff. And now these people have just become like family and I, I don't have a biggest community. But I got I got a, I got a, I got a tiny little group of people and and yeah it really helped it really did it it helped with not only sobriety but it helped with my confidence in entertaining strangers because I I didn't think me playing video games was entertaining at all
0: no you have a personality and you have a presence for it dude and that's what it takes that. and and your your channel which all good channels have is they have their own vibe and your vibe is just like come in let's have fun Let's play some games. I love Nerd Alert, uh, the podcast Thank you. with your wife, Misty. It, it's freaking awesome. Like anytime you go live and I catch it, I try to pop in because I enjoy your perspective on stuff. Because you often have, how do I say this, an extreme perspective on stuff. And it's fun as hell to listen to. And it's just so great. So. I do be going wild
1: sometimes. You like There will be, there'll be times when we stop and we're ever done with the show. I'm like, did I really say that? <laughs> Oh Dude. man, I I play too much. Um, no, no, it's fun. No, and I love doing that. I love doing that with Misty, uh, and I've kind of brought her into nerd culture and the nerd world. I mean, she was a nerd at heart. She just wasn't watching it when I met her. Like her television was outdated. She didn't have streaming services. Like I brought this world into her. I was like, hey, look, here's Daredevil, and she was hooked on the MCU. Nice. Hey. Here's professional wrestling, and she's hooked on professional. Here's Doctor Who. I was just introducing her to a lot of stuff. Now, a lot of stuff she doesn't like that I watch, you know. But the, for the most part, we do watch the same things. And she's she's now a Marvel DC expert, and she knows her wrestling and stuff like that. And it's one of the best things to do every week is just to sit down with her and talk nerd stuff with our twitch friends because she's got opinions too and she doesn't know it but i think she's funnier (laughs) than me sometimes well most of the time she's funnier than me she really is she makes me laugh harder than anyone
0: i know and and you can tell that you dig your wife. that's the other thing Is like you two are in a partnership you're probably best friends would be my guess you guys just have a blast so hey everyone it's just duck jumping in here real quick to say thank you so much for checking out the podcast today if you're enjoying it head over to your favorite podcast app spotify stitcher podbean or itunes and give we are podcast network a like. and if you get a chance head over to our social media all links can be found in the description you can find us at facebook instagram and twitter at backslash we are podcast and with that back to the podcast but also speaking you brought up wrestling you have another podcast that is doing very well. The Counting Lights podcast with Chris Germany. Uh, yeah. Co-host. He's a professional wrestler for a long time and he's was. a comedian. I love him. He, he's he's freaking awesome. He's so nice, too. He's uh, been working out,
1: too. I don't know if you've seen him lately. No, like, I haven't
0: seen him, dude, but it wouldn't take much because he was already stocky and built like a son of a gun. Well,
1: now, I mean, so we had, I got COVID and then he went to Clearwater, Florida for vacation. We hadn't seen each other for like three or four weeks. He shows up to record the podcast. i like are you are you setting up for one more match buddy and uh, yeah chris germany is uh, i'm so glad i met him he has opened doors for me in the wrestling community in the wrestling world that if i told my eight-year-old self this was going to happen like i i just i i couldn't there's so much off the bucket list because of him and i owe that man my life my time all of that. Like, if he wants to do something with counting lights, I'm all for it. It's whatever counting lights is all him. I, I want to put that out there right there. That is all him. All I do is I'm just that extra voice and I edit it and I put it up, but it is Chris Germany's podcast that he has given me the privilege to be a part of.
0: It's crazy too, because you guys get the coolest guest on, but you do, you get so many legends of wrestling, whether they be from major wrestling outlets or whether it just be all of Famers. wrestling. Yeah. It's nuts, dude. You want
1: to hear the craziest, you want to hear a crazy thing that happened because of, of that podcast. So we interviewed Jeff Jarrett, right? For those of you who don't know, Jeff Jarrett, third generation wrestler. He put China on the map, basically. He, he's the one that lost to China, I think, for the Intercontinental title or something. I feel, I feel like that's correct. But anyway, major figure in 90s wrestling. A month later, I go to WrestleMania. I have a floor seat that I was offered at a cheap price. I'm like, I'm going to take this. And it was in Cowboy Stadium. And our concession from my section was the DraftKings lobby, right? If you're watching a Cowboy game, it's connected to the locker room. And then there's the lounge. And that's where the Cowboys come out. But it was my concession and bathroom. So I'm like, hey, this is pretty nice and snazzy, you know. As I'm walking in and pulling the door open, there's Jeff Jarrett. And we just have this moment of like, "Ah." (laughs) small world and he's like what's up dan and it was just like and when you're around wrestlers if you're a wrestling fan you got to keep that fanboy stuff oh yeah yeah Yeah, you don't
0: bring that out at all
1: because there are wrestling fans that go overboard and they've ruined that experience Mm -hmm. you know what i mean like stalkers and what have you so I keep it, and Chris taught me that, keep it low. So I was just like, oh, he's oh, man, it's fancy seeing you here. And we talked for a little bit. And then that's when fans around us started to see him and were shouting at him. I was like, Jeff, you need to go wherever <laughs> you need to go. Bro.
0: It's good seeing you. Support the Um, podcast. Let them know what it is. Um, uh, He's,
1: he, I mean, he's, I mean, after we interviewed him, he's such a nice guy. He mentioned Chris on his podcast, My World, which gets way more listeners than ours. And I think he did mention Counting Lights podcast and he did help our podcast a little just by mentioning. But that's just like, this was one of the things Chris Germany has provided for me. Like, hey, here you go. And my first thought when I sat back down at WrestleMania was, No one's going to believe me, (laughs) (laughs) but I texted Chris and he was so happy. I had that experience and he'll say stuff like all the time. Like, I'm so happy. Like wrestlers are befriending you and getting to know you and trust you. It makes me happy. The man is just genuinely happy for his friends. Mm -hmm. And I mean, when you meet somebody like that, it's just it's nice to meet somebody like that in this world these days and age where everyone argues with each other. And so, you know. He's a great human being.
0: Do you also moonlight as a commentator on um, wrestling events? Is that right? Okay. So
1: I did it once. I'm going to do it again. We've just, uh, we're, we're trying to find another venue for county we're like accidentally starting a wrestling company at this point we want to move (laughs) it
0: we're trying to we are
1: we never meant to we just wanted to do comedy shows and wrestling shows chris knows how to run wrestling shows i know how to run comedy shows boom yeah the wrestling shows got so popular it was just like we need a bigger venue so we're shopping for that right now we did one of our wrestling shows on fight TV and I got to commentate and I learned some stuff with that, but I got a lot of good feedback. So I was just like, yeah, this is something I could do in the future. The yeah. next time I have the opportunity, it's really fun. I reckon <laughs> if you ever have a chance to be just a wrestling collar commentator, do it because yeah. it's literally just and being a heel bad guy commentator is so easy. just root root for the bad guy and say outlandish stuff that isn't true like i said me and rodney mac were homies and we go to bed bath and beyond together it was just
0: (laughs) stupid
1: but so fun And I was bragging about my Paul Jones sweater. If you go and look for Paul Jones sweaters, they're like 20 bucks. It's not even a thing. It's just that type of behavior. And it's so fun to do. I'm amazed, Ducky. This is amazing that you know all of this. I'm completely thrown off.
0: So my one last thing I want to ask you before I let you go, and I appreciate your time. And I really do. This has been awesome. What is your advice for up-and-comers, for people like me who have just started? I'm only like six months, eight months in, you know what I mean? Dude, I'm going to tell you
1: what Patton Oswalt told me when I was five weeks in. I went to go see, uh, I think it was, yeah, it was the Werewolves and Lollipops recording at Cap City Comedy Club in Austin, Texas.
0: So so you're on that recording?
1: I mean, I'm not, I mean, no, maybe, I don't know. I mean, (laughs) I don't really, I mean, I don't know. I've never really listened for my laughter because that was four. I know the shows were packed. All four of them. Mine was packed. My dad heckled the feature. That was weird. Uh, (laughs) uh,
0: That was such a bad
1: night. But yeah, I got to talk with Patton after the show. And I was like, do you have any advice? Hit the stage as much as you can. And, And really, when you're six months in, that's the only thing you can do. Be true to yourself and, you know, have integrity, have dignity. Don't be quiet and let people walk all over you and stuff like, you know, value yourself as a person. A lot of people in comedy swallow a lot of crap just to get a gig. And it doesn't have to be like that at all. I mean, now more than ever, I feel that comedy is everywhere now. You you can start a stage at a library. Uh, You can start a show. (laughs) Just be genuine to yourself and, you know, don't think about success or fame. Just think about that next joke. Think about that new joke. And as far as like, because a lot of people, they don't get what they want, which is success or fame, and they quit. I'm telling you, as 16 years. I have one TV credit, maybe. I don't even use it anymore because it's so old. But for 16 years, like all I ever wanted to do was just this art form. I don't, I don't want a Netflix special. I don't want to work the road every weekend. I work my own schedule, you know? Like, there is no wrong way. There's only the way that makes you happy. And don't let others tell you, like, oh, you're doing it the wrong way. Well, no, my goal is just to, like, live comfortably, have a house for me and my wife. And, you know, if every once in a while someone wants to, me to get on stage and tell jokes, okay, I'll go tell jokes. I'm not expecting, like, someone to be in the crowd and they got a TV deal with, hey, you want to be on Colbert? No.
0: <laughs> That's awesome, dude. That's just awesome. It, that, that, and I think sober. that sober. Stay sober.
1: Stay sober.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say this advice is coming from the person who made all the mistakes over and over again and got forgiveness and and found that second chance. And that's that's the thing, man.
1: And, you know, I'm sure there are people right now that have made mistakes and they were they were they are in the same position I was in. A lot of it is being self-aware as well. Put yourself in other people's shoes. Someone bans you. Put yourself in their shoes. Look at yourself from their point of view. Time heals everything. And I'm a great example of that. But in order for time to heal, you got to heal yourself. That's as simple as as that gets. And you got to be honest with yourself, too. I had to be dead honest with myself over over the clubs that banned me. I had to drop that, oh, everyone's against me. You know, it's all them. I had to drop that. And I went, no, you got drunk, said some stuff you shouldn't have said because you were drunk. And then this was the consequence of that. And that's why this happened to you. So you got to apologize to who you, you got to apologize to, who you got to apologize to, which is the eighth step. And you just got to be better, be a better person, you know, be yeah. somebody you would look up to.
0: That's awesome that you came that far in your journey and you realized that. And thank God you did too before something bad happened. I'm very thankful
1: I did not go through the, through the uh, uh, detox, detoxing, uh, what's it called? The DTs? Mm-hmm. Is that what it's called? Yeah. I didn't, I didn't go through severe alcohol withdrawal and I was very, very lucky. It was like a cloud hanging over my head in my first couple of months sober. Like, when's this gonna happen? But really all it was is just like, you know, I would just be staying up late. But then that started twitch, you know? And I'm a big believer in everything happens for a reason. I couldn't tell you if it's God. I couldn't tell you if it's the universe. I'm too small minded to grasp (laughs) whatever this is. The only thing I know that's real is me and how I interact with the environment around me. And I'm very lucky because like also throughout this journey, I've met you. You know, our buddy Jake, our buddy, you know, all these mutual friends that we have that I love and that I cherish. I love having that. I love that comedy gave me you guys. And I I love that more. Like if a Netflix deal came to me tomorrow, I'd still be like, yeah, but the best thing about my life is the friends I've
0: made. You know, I agree with you 100 percent. That's for me, the podcasting network has been that it has been the friends along the way. Plus, it gives us something to do that's productive and it's fun. I got one more question for you. Why the moniker? Why the stage name? (laughs) I outed you. I outed you.
1: I'm very open with this Mm. because people will come up to me and go, is that a stage name? Well, yeah, but it's really not. So Dan is short for Daniel, which is my middle name, but I was called Daniel or Dan my whole life because my parents named me uh, Mark with a C.
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh,
1: and danzy's my mom's maiden name okay. and my mom had lost her two older brothers when she was a baby one to cancer one got hit by a car there was just no there was nothing left of that family name and i wanted to carry that with me you know awesome dude like i'm not i'm not to this day i'm not too happy with my mom i will admit that there are times where i'm like really upset especially like when i when I have a really big opportunity, you know, mm-hmm. I'm upset that she's not around. But, you know, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for my parents and stuff. And I just couldn't, I couldn't let that name just die. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So, Dan Danzy is is actually, I could probably, I should get it legally changed. But then I don't want to upset my dad with my real ass name. I understand.
0: But it, I'm, I'm David Jr., basically, but I'm mm-hmm. by Duck, so you just a certain name and so i've always laughed because it's such a great name it's got that rhyme to it and you know whenever somebody told me like that's not his real name i was like what i was like yeah i was you like it, it tr- is kind of is though now that you put it out y- on
1: you them. put your trust in people and they say <laughs> ah don't worry i'm not gonna tell anybody no but i'm more open about it now because as i've gotten older i realize it's it's really dumb to hide my real name, especially for tax purposes. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, everybody's like, that's your stage name, right? Yeah. What's your real name? Eh. I mean, I'll I'll tell someone in private conversation because I'm a very private guy. So if I trust the person, I'll tell them my actual name. But again, and this is another thing, comedy, you never know what other comedians are like off stage. Like, And maybe that's just me being anxious with people and not trusting
0: people a lot.
1: But, you know, when I trust someone, it's like, hey, by the way, my real name is
0: Joe Joey. So there you (laughs) go. Joey Johnson. That's what it is. It's uh, it's
1: Mark Markison. That is what it is, it
0: is. Easy squeezy. Well, dude, I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Dan, for, for joining me on this first episode. It has been awesome to talk to you. We got so much stuff out there. It is great. Uh, check them out dandanzi.com, Instagram, danzyland, Facebook.com backslash Dan Danzi, Twitter, Dan Danzi, and Twitch TV backslash Red Nebula Pictures. Go watch the streams, join in, gonna, have fun. I'm going to say something before. Don't don't hit stop. OK, I
1: I want this. I am amazed at how much info you had and all the research you did and you plugged all my social media stuff. I didn't have to. I've done a lot of podcasts and it takes longer than this because the host of the podcast doesn't actually know anything about. And it was very comfortable being here with you. And yeah, thank you for doing your research, man. Like Absolutely. that's amazing to me. No you're problem. you're a great podcaster and a great interviewer. You're seriously, you're Barbara Walters in here. I'm just I, I'm <laughs> amazed.
0: You're Larry King, like yeah. ah. Well, dude, I got to go. I got to be ready for work. Go to Thank work. So tell him If
1: you're late, tell them Danzy held you up, and they'll all, they'll all get it. All
0: right, cool. <laughs> <laughs> all right, later, dude. And there you, it is. Thank you Bye. again so much for checking out the podcast today. If you enjoyed it, head over to your favorite podcast app, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, and iTunes, and give We Are Podcast Network a like. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, you're going to love the other podcasts here on the We Are Podcast Network. We have We Are Bagoo, a video game podcast where we talk Atari to Steam and everything between. That's me and Dr. Ethan Eastwood breaking down all that video game lore and having such a good time. Heroes Jero's A Dungeons and Distractions Side quest. Me and the boys were playing some D&D. You can start that one from Season 1, Episode 1. It's a blast the whole way through. And I hate being sober. Personal stories from epic people. I sit down with some of my favorite people of all time. We talk about their trials, their tribulations, and their journey this far. And finally, our new live video podcast, Camp Slash Horrorcast, where we're going to have a roundtable discussion about our favorite horror movies. That'll be available on Twitch and YouTube, streaming every Monday at 8 p.m. Check the links in the description to find out what movies we'll be watching. Also, check the links in the description for our social media. You can find us at Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at backslash we, our podcast network. With that said, thank you so much for checking out the podcast today. Please remember to support local comedy in any way that you can. We'll see you next time.